0: If you're able to please stand up today for the reading of today's scripture. Today's scripture is from Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you, so I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks after their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and almost died, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also with me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the name of the Lord, with great joy and honor, and people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Jackie, for reading our lesson this morning. To Laura, for your prayer. To all of our musicians, uh, we've been so blessed uh, today. Uh, Leslie Mann, thank you. You hit an octave I'm unfamiliar with today. Uh, that, that, was, that was wonderful, we're so grateful. Uh, if you have uh, been blessed by the music, might you say amen? amen? If you'd like to hear more music, might you say amen? Amen. If you'd like to hear less preaching and more music, would you say… Oh, don't, do don't say it, don't say that. Well we're continuing our study in this letter to a church, a struggling church in Philippi. The letter is called Philippians. We know that it was authored by Paul, who has become at this point, a generation after the ascension of Jesus, the leader of the first century church. It's interesting that though Paul wrote the letter, it's co-signed by Timothy, which really just helps us to understand that Paul saw ministry never as as a solo hero kind of thing. It was always community. It was colleagues working together. And we know by now that Paul is writing this letter from the context of a Roman prison cell. He's under house arrest, he's in chains, and he's awaiting the verdict that will come from the Roman tribunal that will either lead to his acquittal or his execution. He is guilty of refusing to bow the knee to imperial power, to Caesar. He has one Lord, one Christ, he will only bend the knee to God through Christ and the Spirit. But because he refuses to bend the knee to Caesar, he's now been imprisoned and he will not recant his confession for any reason. What's interesting to me is though he is now on death row, he's not preoccupied with his own need. He's thinking of others. And so while Paul is doing time, he's spending time in reflection, in prayer. He's writing letters and he's encouraging his friends across the church. Indeed, his chains are progressing the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it true that sometimes it's not just our success that advances our witness? It's our hardships. And indeed, in those suffering moments, we know know how indebted we are and how dependent we are on someone other than ourselves. So the chains now are actually serving to advance the gospel, which brings Paul joy. That's his reason for being. Regardless of our external circumstances, you need never lose your joy that is resourced by the Holy Spirit. And so in the text that Jackie read for us, Paul is now reassuring the flock in Philippi of his ongoing support. And he's in essence saying, look, even even if the guilty verdict comes and I'm unable to come to you, I'm going to send you help in the person of my son in the faith, my protege, my associate, whose name is Timothy. He's Paul's go-to guy. Everybody has a go-to guy, and Timothy is Paul's. We also know that Timothy was no stranger to Philippi. In fact, he accompanied Paul on the journey, that mission to Macedonia. You remember when Paul had the vision, Timothy went with him. Timothy met preacher Paul when he was just a teenager. In his hometown of Lystra, he heard the gospel through Paul's voice and it changed his life. I think, though this is not in the Bible, that Timothy was a leader in his youth group. He probably sang in the youth choir or played the guitar in the praise band or the cymbals in the joy sound. We know that his family was a part of the church as well because we remember mother and grandmother. We remember their names, Lois and Eunice. They even sound like church ladies they're the matriarchs in the community, and there's this deep bond that develops between these two men, two different generations, Paul and Timothy, deep bond. The bond is not based on genealogy, it's not based on DNA, genetics, ethnicity, none of that. They're bound together because of a common confession in Jesus and a common allegiance to the way of Christ, bound together. When I was growing up in Nashville as a teenager in the 70s, I remember a a hymn we used to sing always on Sunday night. You know, we'd come to the altar, and the last song that we would sing, you remember this song? It's in the hymn book. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. John Fawcett wrote it, 1782. It's an old hymn, Kindred Minds. We talked last week about kindred minds, and i remind you how Paul said in Philippians earlier in chapter 2, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. What does he mean? Well, I'll tell you what he doesn't mean. Paul is not advocating that the church would be uniform in terms of every thought that we have. I dare say if we took a poll today, from pew to pew, there would be a difference of opinion on politics and on other kinds of issues that we're facing today, but Paul is not proposing that we all think alike. He's advocating that it is possible for us all to love alike. The word for mind, M-I-N-D, mind, in the Greek is phroneo, which is not primarily about intellect, it's about attitude. I saw a sign the other day on the roadside that said, and I quote, a bad attitude is like a flat tire. If you don't change it, you'll never get anywhere. Amen? amen. I said amen? amen. That's what I thought. Attitudes are are attitudes are essentially just habits of thinking, habits of thought. The attitude that Paul is endorsing in Philippians is not one of self-fulfillment. It's not about self-aggrandizement. It's about self-emptying. It's really about humility. I've discovered the hard way in ministry, Joe, that you cannot be self-centered and Christ-centered at the same time. I remember one layperson who said to a young pastor, Pastor, when you preach, you cannot convince me that you are good and Jesus is good in the same sermon. Can't do it. It's attitude. Paul spells out the attitude that he's looking for in chapter 2, verse 3, beginning in the negative. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. In other words, and this is what many of us have tried to teach our children, is instead of saying, me first... Learn to say you first, because it's not about being served. It's about serving. So the implication, I think, in chapter two as a whole is this. If we can learn to think like Jesus, then it's possible to live like Jesus. I'm getting some applause right now from Maxwell, amen. If you can think like Jesus, you you can actually learn to love like Jesus. Amen, clap. (laughs) John Ruskin, who was an English philosopher in the 19th century, said it like this. I love this. Listen to this. I believe that the first test of a great person is their humility. And I don't mean by humility that you doubt your own power. I'm not talking about poor self-esteem. But really great people, he said, have a curious feeling that the greatness is not of them, but through them. And then he adds this, such people have the capacity to see something divine in every other person and are endlessly, foolishly, and incredibly merciful. Oh, Lord, I want to be foolishly merciful. That's the attitude. Now, in order to promote this attitude, Paul is saying the church has to have some examples. It's not enough to say it, you have to do it. We need some models. And so Paul gives us in this text two examples of that kind of humility one is Timothy, one is Epaphroditus. Let me get to Timothy first. Finally, to the text, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 19, I hope talking to the church. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all seek their own interests not those of Christ. Now that last line really bothers me I have nobody else who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's not a very flattering thought about Paul's colleagues, about, our, about other pastors. This bothers me. And in fact, when I read this, I hope, I hope that Titus didn't see this part of the letter. You no, know what? I hope that Silas and Barnabas didn't catch sight of this section of the letter. They'd have gotten their feelings hurt. I've noticed sometimes that when people in the church get their feelings hurt, uh, they're pretty mean sometimes. And I think maybe if they had read this section, it was awkward, might have been offensive to them. And personally, I think, Joe, if I was the bishop, I think that I would send Paul for sensitivity training. But then in defense, when you're on death row, you're not really concerned about being politically correct. When you're waiting for the verdict that your life may be given back, or your life may be over, you're not as concerned about being polite. I imagine that Timothy was not the only person that Paul asked to go to Philippi. I think there were probably others that might have been tapped that were asked to go, but they declined. They had good reasons why they couldn't go, but Timothy was different. Timothy was the sort of pastor who would never say no to a difficult task. Timothy was the kind of pastor who was willing to go wherever he was sent, whether he wanted to go or not. And that sounds to me like Timothy was a Methodist minister. We call it the itinerant system, which means in the 39 and a half years that I've been in ministry, I have never once been able to choose where I want to go. I'm always told where to go. The bishop says, I need you in Watertown. I need you in Cartersville. I need you in Fayetteville. And you say, aye, aye, captain. And then you go. I was never given a choice, and I must say it's easier to be chosen than to choose. I was never given a choice until the bishop called me about you in Brentwood. He called and said, would you go, it's your choice. And I said, no. And I have to tell you, it felt kind of (laughs) good after all those years to say no to my bishop. And then I made the mistake of praying about it, which was not really a mistake. And I cannot tell you how grateful I was when Bishop McAlilly called back. And the second time I said, okay, I had prayed a prayer. If he calls back, I'll go. If he doesn't, I'll stay. He called back. I got in the car and went home. Sherry opens the door. She's crying and she says, I know. (laughs) She knew. Timothy was an example of one who got it right the first time. The first time he got the call, he was willing to go where nobody else wanted to go. He was willing to go where he was needed. And Paul says, I don't have any other preachers like that. All others seem to seek their own interests, not those of Jesus. Not those of Jesus begs a question. What are the interests of Jesus? What does he want of me and of us? I've been thinking about that all week. I think he wants repentance. That means a change of thinking, a change of mind. I think he wants obedience, a willingness to surrender, to submit yourself to something bigger than me, bigger than you. I think he wants reconciliation. That's restored friendship. That's restored harmony. At least that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are ambassadors of reconciliation. That's our call. This is the mindset of Jesus, and if we can think like Jesus, then it's possible to live like Jesus and to become an example like Timothy. Ben Franklin once said, a good example is the best sermon. I think he also said, the world is not changed by our opinions. The world is changed by our example. And by the way, the other example in the text is Epaphroditus. He too was sent, but there's a difference. He was not sent by Paul to the church. He was sent by the church to Paul. Epaphroditus was actually sent by the community of faith in Philippi to pastor the pastor. And I said this a couple of weeks ago. There are two types of people in the church, those who pastor the pastor and those who pastor the pastor, and every pastor needs pastoring, but we won't show it. I think the clergy are among those who are the least likely to ever ask for counseling or help because we're not supposed to do that, but pastors need pastoring. That's why I hired Jim Hughes, Laura Bradley. It was a risky move for Epaphroditus, but he said, I'll go. If you don't know the geography, it's an 800-mile trip from Philippi to Rome. That's a long way. Paul was constantly in hot water with civil and religious authorities, and so to befriend Paul is risky business because if Epaphroditus gets too close to Paul, he's gonna wind up in the cell right beside him. It was dicey to bef- It is dicey to befriend a prophet it will get you in trouble. It's interesting, in one of Paul's other prison letters, and there are several in the New Testament, Paul, at one point, got so discouraged, so down in the dumps, that he begged Timothy to come. This is in 2 Timothy 4. He says, everybody has left me, everybody's abandoned me. Demas has gone to Thessalonica, Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus has run away to Dalmatia, and this is Eugene Peterson's modern translation, so take it for its worth. Uh, Paul says, at my preliminary hearing, at my deposition, no one stood by me. They all ran away in fear like rabbits. It's not very complimentary of the clergy. But Philippi, the lay people in Philippi heard about Paul, and they sent one of their own to see about him, to pastor the pastor. And by the way, this is not a Disney story. It didn't go well. Apparently, Epaphroditus got sick. He got the Roman fever that was prevalent in the Roman prison. He got typhoid, or maybe it was from malaria, and he almost kicked the bucket before Paul sent him home. But it's the thought that counts. This guy took a chance. He got involved at great cost to himself. He was an example. In fact, Paul loved him so much, he called him a brother. He said, he's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. Examples, we need them. Now, to be sure, you can learn as much from a poor example, can't you, as you can a good one. I don't know about you, but I've been absolutely horrified by the shooting that took place in Buffalo a week ago Saturday. And then about three days after, I was horrified that I wasn't as horrified as I should be because we just quickly move on too fast. It was sickening to me to think of an 18-year-old boy driving 200 miles from his home to a grocery store in a predominantly black neighborhood so that he could shoot black people because they're black. It's unthinkable. It's unimaginable. There were 10 people who were killed, 50 rounds that he released from his guns. Three were wounded, two of the three wounded were white, and among the deceased, Six of them were women, four men, ages 32 to 86. There was a grandmother. There was a security guard, policeman. There was a school teacher. There was a deacon in her church. There was even a father who was going to Topps to pick up his birthday cake for the surprise party for his son. I often, like you do, try to make sense of things that don't make sense. And then I read more. We have learned since that this young troubled boy was radicalized online during COVID. That he got on an image-based anonymous website called 4chan because he said, I was bored. And he began to fill his head with anti-Semitic and racist propaganda for two years, and before pulling the trigger Saturday a week ago, he uploaded his manifesto that cited the great replacement theory which speaks of a cabal that is attempting to replace white Americans with non-white people. And he drank the Kool-Aid for two years. When I thought of that, I went immediately to the Scriptures. Proverbs 23, 7, whatsoever a man thinketh in his heart, that's what he is, that's what she is. I went to Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, and then you can test and approve God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. I went to Philippians 4, preaching on this in two weeks. Where Paul says, finally, sisters and brothers, look, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or worthy of praise, think, think on such things. That's the attitude of Christ. If you do a reverse paraphrase of that, you'll get the mindset of the world. Do it. Whatever is false... Whatever is misleading, whatever is dishonorable, whatever is wrong, impure, ugly, deplorable, if anything is mediocre or worthy of criticism, think on such things. And I just described for you the 21st century media. It's the mindset. That's why when our children misbehave, the first thing that mom asked them is, what were you thinking? Because if you can think like Jesus, you can love like Jesus. That's why Paul said in another letter, Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. I'm preaching to the choir today. There's a lot of stinking thinking in this world, but we have a manifesto. And I want us to immerse ourselves in it. Our manifesto is Matthew five through seven. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, which by the way, if you didn't know, contains the thinking of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they'll receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for you shall be called sons and daughters of God. It's Jesus' way of saying, mind your thoughts because they become our destiny. You remember the bracelets we used to wear, WWJD? Some of you still, 20 years ago, what would Jesus do? I want somebody here to, to make a new bracelet that says WWJT, what would Jesus think? Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. And if we can think like him, maybe we can live like him. Just like Paul, just like Timothy, just like Epaphroditus, just like Bill, just like Jim, just like Laura, like Jackie like Janine, like Robin, like Joe, like Kelly, like Don, like Eddie, like Melinda. And we can be an example to the glory of God. I close with a free verse poem written by Mother Teresa. It's called, Anyway. I love this. This is her innermost thoughts called anyway listen people are often unreasonable illogical and self-centered forgive them anyway if you're kind people will accuse you of selfish motives be kind anyway if you're successful you'll win some false friends and some true enemies succeed anyway if you're honest and frank people may cheat you be honest and frank anyway What you spend years building, somebody's going to destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, there may be jealousy. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have. It may never be enough, but give the best anyway. You see, she writes, in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never just between you and them anyway that's some good thinking such thinking leads to exemplary living and a good example that is the best sermon you'll ever preach may it be so